0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Proselytize or Apostatize. I'm your host, Dave Russell, along with my co-host, David Paulman. What's up, David? How's
1: it going, Russell? Good to be back for another live uh, event.
0: Yes, man. Uh, So, yeah, welcome all to Open Mic Night. How's everybody doing out there? I hope everybody's well. I know David uh, Paulman is is good. So, hey, look, we got uh, Travis here already, but let's open this up by talking about guest host month david i you know we had we just finished guest host month uh and that 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 was great i I had a lot of fun doing it
1: yeah i i think it was uh it was good it gave us a little break from some of the stress it got some new faces on and my favorite part of it was that we birthed the idea of doing the um the reverse debate, right, with uh, the guys from Reason to Doubt, where the two of us would <laughs> defend atheism and both of them would defend theism and we would uh, see who does better as we play devil's advocate with each other. So I like yes. that idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty cool. I I, I had a real, a, a real good time doing the Miracles uh, uh, discussion. I thought yeah. that went really well. Uh, you know, both sides were just like really, really reasonable and – you know good natured and we had a, we had a good time i i, I enjoyed that, all of it you know yeah. so um so guys if you don't know much about open mic night i put i'll, I'll be putting in the super chat i'll be putting up a link that you hit stream yard you'll enter my quay and then i will put you into the show and you can ask <clears throat> questions we can discuss different topics and so forth and right now like me and david are or open opening up talking about guest host month uh do enjoy a particular debate that that we had with our guests uh i did like the
1: miracles discussion uh i also thought the discussion on morality uh with between aaron and swan i thought that was a good um high quality discussion and i uh, i think i i'll probably pick that one as my favorite
0: right yeah that was that was great i, I love being able to watch that unfold and just be able to take care of the technical stuff and make that look really good for them you know that was my main goal, and you know uh, I, I think we had some issues with Swan's mic that I was able to actually go back and actually drown out some of that that noise coming from his mic. So Swan, if you're out there, buddy, get a new mic. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it might be mm-hmm. time. Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm I'm totally kidding. It was a great debate. Mm-hmm. I really I really loved everything we had lined up. I love the interviews that we had last month. I mean, it was a big month for us, uh, as far as like getting, you know, planning and getting all these, uh, you know, big names to come onto the podcast. Uh, yeah. So right now we got Travis uh, Worth with us. What's up, Travis? You were one of the guest hosts
2: on uh, Guest Host
0: Month. Man, yeah, how you
2: doing? Doing great, doing great. Uh, I've I've had a lazy day, just like relaxing, reading. So uh, it's been good. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, I really enjoyed hosting that. It was my first, like, uh, debate slash discussion to host, and it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, you did a good job, man. I listened to it. Uh, I listened in, I jumped in, and uh, I was on my ho- way home from work and was just able to listen to it. Uh, so, I mean, it was pretty Yeah, it's kind of cool. one of those things you have to kind of get it. the feel for
2: it, but once you get the feel for it, then
0: it's, yeah. Well, you're truly a natural man So, you know, I, I noticed that you're talking a little bit of smack online About David Paulman's epistemology So you came yes, out here to destroy it so Yes, you, you, are, you are more than welcome to uh, take a stab at that
2: I, right now Okay, I'm going to convince him to become a presuppositionalist And once he does, he's going to have to admit online on Facebook That uh, James White is the man Okay <laughs> So here's why you should be a presuppositionalist. Yeah, I've got nothing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> According to what standard do you have? Nothing. Right. <laughs> How do you so, account
2: for the laws of logic?
1: <laughs> yeah, you can't account for those in your world. Yet. Hey, y'all, be exactly. careful,
0: man. We might have uh Darth Dawkins come back on us tonight.
1: Oh goodness.
2: <laughs> oh yeah.
0: That was fun though. I mean, hey, look, look, that's why we do this. We we, we want people to come in and, and talk about this stuff and uh Again, you know, um, going back to guest host month real quick, uh, I thought it was really fun to be able to watch the hosts uh, or watch our our former guests uh, actually. uh, Caleb did really well with uh, um, James Goodwin on that morality debate. And, yeah, it was enjoyable. But I, I did want to give a shout out to them. And I do want to give a shout out to all of our, our guys and thank them very much for coming on and and helping us out and and doing that and making it a success. So guys, thanks a lot.
2: Yeah. And uh, I like the discussion Caleb had on universalism. I thought that was pretty good. I got to say, I I found the, uh, the conditionalism a little more compelling, but I I thought they both did well on that discussion. Yeah.
0: David, you have any thoughts?
1: Well, speaking of presuppositionalism, we've actually got uh, a debate coming up now on this. Uh, and you know, for anyone who is watching from the beginning, you need to uh, see the advertisement that we uh, had up at the beginning. But yeah, Russell found me a presuppositionalist to debate, so that is um, going nice. down in a couple couple weeks here, right? So
0: yeah, yeah, in a few weeks uh, we're gonna we're actually gonna record it the same day. You're gonna be hosting me and uh um hosting my debate with uh uh nash no day no last name and she's actually gonna come and debate as easter pagan so that's that's looking real fun oh. so i'm gonna do my best to uh defend the traditions we hold dear <laughs> but well, it, it looks good you know uh, what's really cool is that she's really she's really awesome man she's just been like just she she jumped right in and she was just been like real real cordial and nice and and wanting to come on and do this so yeah I'm really excited.
2: Yeah no I'm always up to debate uh like teleology fine tuning stuff like that if you have anything. Okay yeah definitely David do you, do you know anybody Perfect. that
0: you, you know you know speaking of fine tuning sorry I'm I'm trying to do the the chat as well so. Uh, on fine tuning, what is what is your favorite? What what is what makes fine tuning the fine tuning an appealing apologetic for you, Travis?
2: Okay, so what I do is I, I combine the arguments of Hugh Ross and Richard Swinburne, and I don't really argue for you know the fact that you know uh, for a life permitting universe like the values of the constants. I think that that's compelling, but I think all that really gets you is it kind of makes you question like uh, metaphysical naturalism, like it, it, why is it like this? What I find compelling is the argument, like for uh, moral agents to be able to launch global civilization, and that the fine-tuning precision increases for what's needed for like simple cell uh, bacterial organisms to advanced bacteria to let's say land mammals to humans, and then to humans who can self-reflect and make morally significant decisions and launch a high-tech global civilization. And that the perimeters and precision increase with each category, and that the last category is precise on all levels of science, like astrophysics, uh, uh, psychology, biology, uh, you know, chemistry. That it, it's uh, precision increases with each one.
0: So, what are some of the most common Oh,
2: sorry.
0: Did you, you you must have froze up? I didn't catch that last part where was i at when i when i froze i
1: i think we got it all uh, we may have um okay. david david there might be got? a little bit of a lag oh on uh the fine tuning argument yeah um i have kind of got a long standing um aversion to that argument it's not because i don't think it's interesting i do like i think fine tuning fits a lot better within theism than it does uh, in atheism True. But I haven't been able to figure out how to get from uh, fine-tuning to the existence of God. Uh, because like, if you look at William Lane Craig's formulation of the argument, for example, they right. will say, like, right. um, so, like, you know, we've got this fine-tuning of the universe, and either it has to be due to chance, necessity, or design, mm-hmm. not due to chance or necessity, therefore due to design. Well, how are you really ruling out the chance hypothesis, right? I mean, there's no... I. As far as I'm aware, there's no way of ruling out that hypothesis. So, um, right in the end, what at least what Craig's version of the argument is doing is it's like it's going from small probability, therefore God. But we don't. There Mm -hmm. there are all kinds of times where we have small probability, and you're not allowed to just infer God. So I'm I'm kind of still working on how to get around that objection.
2: Yeah, see, that's not that's not really the argument. Like I'm presenting. Though, uh, but okay, so the way I argue it is that precise information was input at the time of the Big Bang, analogous to running a, a program for a specific purpose. So I could grant that it's due to necessity because once the information is input, and if you were to look back on it, you could look at it as being somewhat deterministic. Um, but the way I argue for the find, you know, it's that the precision uh, increases from like bacteria. To animals, to humans, then to like consciously self-aware humans who can make morally significant decision, and that the stacking of the precision for each category, and that the uh, last category is extreme, indicates an intentional state. So you would have like intentionality and uh, intelligence.
0: Yeah. I think any anytime time you see intelligence and that's kind of that's where always my my focus was, is that intelligence factor that, that you can make out mm-hmm. in the cosmos. Uh, and that that was really convincing to me on that whole yeah. idea of fine tuning and stuff. And I think that that pushed me towards towards it being a, a great argument. Because right. uh, 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 intelligence, a- intelligence always implies a mind.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So does intentionality. But uh, uh, David does have a good a good point that, um, you know, just saying like, okay, the values of, of, you know, the cosmological constant and the ratio of the electron mass to the proton mass and uh, all these things. uh, Well, you know, I think that argument, it does not quite get you to theism. I think it just makes you question naturalism. So, I mean, I kind of agree with with like what you're saying and I wouldn't really present the argument that way.
1: Gotcha. All right.
0: Uh,
2: yeah hmm. so so what's
0: next guys i mean we've had some some crazy news in the last few weeks we've had a uh, 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 big scandalous report with robbie z uh and and stuff yeah. and, we, and we've had uh, another leader go down uh on that that note and i, I don't mean to change the subject hmm. here but i i thought it was worth mentioning hmm. that you know these guys have prominent ministries, and you know it's a, it's a sad thing to see, especially those. I mean, we're kind of scarce it is as is as far as apologetics goes. You know, we get a lot of it. You know, blowback with that. Yeah. So, you guys talk to that just real real quick.
2: Well, I think in yeah, I'll just. Oh, go ahead, Travis. Oh no, you you good? Sorry, I got a little bit of a lag. <laughs> All right.
1: So, uh, yeah, I mean, in Ravi's case, um, I mean, it, it's really tragic um, just, uh, you know, to have someone of that prominence with that kind of influence, uh, you know, who just had such a big influence on so many people to, you know, uh, have them discover these things about him. Uh, I mean, I would imagine that would have to be very devastating uh, personally for myself, like Ravi didn't play a big um, role for me in you know, getting me interested in apologetics and philosophy uh, and such. But um, for those he did, uh, I absolutely you know feel for them, and uh, it, I think it really is a tragedy. In Brueggemann's case, um, I am sorry that uh, it happened under these circumstances. Uh, in one sense, uh, I think it is a good thing that he has kind of been removed from um, doing apologetics, and I, I'm not trying to you know be. Condescending in any way, but I don't think that the way he did it was productive. But I would not have chosen for that to be the way that um, he was removed from doing it. That is, of course, in his case is also tragic, uh, as you know. When, whenever a brother falls into sin, then uh, it is tragic, and I think we should keep a sigh in our prayers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so you guys think these these type of sins are absolutely disqualifying? Uh, I know in America. We have a we have a <laughs> kind of a different stance on on certain uh, things. And should this be across the board? Uh, can these guys be redeemed? I mean, we saw David be redeemed and we saw, uh, you know, we read about, you know, a guy that saved the entire planet. Get washed away. Uh, you, you know, you know, he, he saved the entire planet in an ark and then dies drunk. You know, that that's all we know of, him. you know, so he doesn't have the, the greatest of endings. That was Noah. So, I mean, do we, you know, we get the idea from Paul about, you know, what qualifications of an elder are. So does that mean they they get disqualified or that they should be repentant? and you know confess and then be able to get back into it so I mean we always see that with David right he repented and then he, he just kept moving forward um do it, it do we have the ability to say that this totally disqualifies a person
1: well I think in Ravi's case we can I mean obviously he doesn't have the opportunity to repent now but given the gravity of what he was doing I, I think that he would have been permanently disqualified from ministry, yeah. uh, which doesn't mean, of course, that he couldn't repent and still be used by God. But uh, I just think given the gravity of some of what he uh, had been doing, that, yeah, that he would not have you know, been able to be restored in uh, just the way that he was. Uh, in Kate's case, uh, I have respect for the man for, uh, you know, confessing to some extent, you know, that he was wrong and stepping down. Uh, I don't know the details of why it is that he's been considered disqualified from ministry. So I can't, I can't give an opinion on whether or not he could be restored or not. I'd have to know the particulars of uh, the case in order to give an opinion on that.
3: Travis?
2: Yeah, I concur with David. I mean, uh, of course, you know, uh, we we have the love and the forgiveness of Christ. But I mean, with, especially with something that severe, there's still a penalty you're going to have to pay, even though you're forgiven and you can be redeemed. You know, there's a there's still like heavy consequences for our actions because uh, I definitely affirmarian free will. And um, we, the thing with uh, Saiten Brugman, Kate, I'm not like, like David. I, I mean, I don't really know what happened. One thing I do respect about Sait is that um, I think he is sincere. I think he he loves the Lord, and you know, he he's Trying um, So I, I do think he's sincere And I, I respect him for having the uh, Integrity to come forward and say You know I, I really messed up And you know Yeah 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 I hear you But um, in the case of so I don't know if he should be Restored or not I don't know I don't know the details Yeah I, I mean I, I don't
0: know guys It's it, it it's, it's a hard thing to ponder and a hard thing to just say, Hey, you're totally disqualified the rest of your life or something. You know, it's to me that, you know, it's kind of rough, especially when, you know, you've had, you know, an impact, I I guess, because maybe I'm biased because, you know, Robbie did have such an impact in my life, you know, and stuff like that to see him being able to be restored would have, have been more beneficial, I think. Uh, Because I mean, I mean, look what David did. I mean, he, got his good friend killed, you know, he put him on the front lines of a battle, you know, got him murdered, you know, and, and, right. you know, but, you know, and that's not to say, you know, that's not to lessen anybody's sin, you know what I mean? But like we see yeah. David was still able to be king, even though he was disciplined, you know, he was, there was definite consequences to his actions. So yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. It's definitely a, 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 a nail biter and, a, and something that, that needs to be, Truly thought about and discussed. I don't want to do it here because I want to kind of get off the subject. But uh, go ahead, David. You can, you can wrap it well, up. I was
1: going to give. I was going to one final thought on this, which is that um, you know the Bible is not a list of books that you know gives us a bunch of rules and tells us what to do in every yeah. possible circumstance. Uh, and so, I mean, right. you know, it's, it's right that you know uh, Ravi was not a pastor or wasn't you know being a deacon. Uh, insofar as I'm aware. So you know i mean there's there's gonna be some gray area there um as to you know what exactly can be done, and so uh, you know we'll allow some liberty here that you know people can just you know come to as Paul said, let everyone be persuaded in his own mind on an issue like this. Uh, you know, if somebody thinks that, you know, Rabbi could have been restored through repentance uh, to what he had been doing, uh, then, you know, so be it. Um, I, I'm not going to try to, you know, say that they're wrong. I personally would have a hard time seeing how that realistically could be the case. But, you know, that's just yeah, my thoughts. Yeah,
0: I think I think culture has a lot to do with it too, yeah. you know, because somebody could, do, do, could have done this back in – in you know david's time like we said but then like been restored and people would have been fine with it because of the different mindset but we we live in a a whole different milieu where you know christ you know gave us even (laughs) more of a a standard and you know we don't want to make him look bad and we don't want to tarnish that in any way so I I mean, I'm glad for the higher standard in a way, you know, Um, but yeah, it's just, you you know, it's something you you really want to just bring up just to throw all the cards out on the table and say, hey, you know, how do we deal with this? How would the church, how should the church deal with it? And I think, I think sexual crimes are probably one of the lowest crimes that you could, I mean, are the highest crime. I, I mean, it's, 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 it's bottom of the barrel to me. It's, it's, it's bad. You know, you don't go that far. You never go yeah. that far, and I I can't stand it when people do stuff like that and abuse people sexually. So, just to throw that out there, I, again, I, I'm happy for a high standard in that that regard. Yeah. Yeah. you just I'm kind of have like uh,
2: close on that. Um, I know for myself, like when I first became a Christian and I, I was like totally new to Christianity, I remember like I, I would watch online like some of his uh, his sermons, I guess, if you want to call them that. And uh, he, he it was captivating because he was very entertaining. Like he he was uh, funny. And um, but, you know, now I realize, you know, it was really legitimate. And so there's kind of a, a hurt and like kind of a confusion there. But I think the, the highest priority we would have to give is to the victims and to pray for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that's, and that, that's first and foremost.
0: Yeah, we got Ethan here from Spartan yeah, Theology. Um,
3: What's uh, up, man? Yeah. Not too much. Yeah, not too much. So that did you been... did you want to did you want to discuss a certain topic? I don't know. Yeah, I figured I'd see where <laughs> you go. I wasn't I'm not I don't have too too much to say about Ravi and yeah. side but yeah well you that, know what you know, we're gonna
0: do is is we yeah. are gonna transition the subject so uh dave you got a subject on your mind that you want to discuss here
1: uh you know i mean i'm i'm trying really hard not to go please to don't
2: tell me it's a pistol nah, that's what I'm saying.
1: i think i'm trying hard not to go there um <laughs> uh but yeah nothing else is coming to mind man that's what i've been nothing. studying
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, it's a good subject. Uh, yeah. We just got finished. We just got finished a really fun time with skeptics and seekers doing it. So uh, I, I enjoyed those those talks, uh, especially the one uh, where you came on at the end there, too. You came on the Christian side and we all talked about it. That was that was a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, the first the first the first one there was kind of rough because, you know, David Johnson kept having trouble with his mic. And he was like in the middle of me, like trying to explain something. I'd only like get part of it out, and he'd be like, "Russell, Russell, Russell," <laughs> and I'm like, "What, dude?" And he's like, "He's like, oh, mm-hmm. I can't hear you. You're coming in and out." And then, like, when he goes back and he replayed everything, it was fine. Like, <laughs> he could hear everything when he played it back. It was just it, it was he was having some trouble with his Bluetooth, I think, with his Bluetooth uh, headset
1: he's an interesting guy
0: yeah yeah he's a good guy but yeah so so you know what's funny yeah i remember that debate yeah. he had
2: with evan go ahead travis yeah yeah that was it uh, on the, the cologne or something yeah yeah all
0: right well the next topic guys i'm gonna push this along then uh we're gonna talk a little bit about health Uh oh. Yeah, Uh yeah, we've done. We're gonna. We're going to. Yeah, we're gonna. We're gonna jump into. It was funny because, like, okay, so the guys were talking about universalism uh, last week, and they got on to me because I hold to eternal conscious torment, right? So I I hold it a little bit different. I'm more of the quarantine view, but. They got on to me about it, and I'm like, what is up with that? So let's talk about hell a little bit. David, you're an annihilationist. Travis is kind of an annihilationist. Uh, Ethan, where are you standing?
3: I lean pretty heavily towards universalism. I'm not, like, 100% convinced, but, like, if somebody asks, that's where I'm at right now, I guess. Right on,
0: right on. Yeah, but
3: I think I take a pretty – different view than a lot i know i hear a lot of universalists say like either universalist or annihilationism but i tend to think like some form of eternal conscious torment would be my second go-to thing or whatever which is i think a little interesting i just find it like like just put it simply like one thing that leans me that way is just like it seems like god it seems like annihilationism leads to god giving up on people And eternal conscious torment makes more sense to where like they continue to sin or like they just like he's still reaching out to them, but they're just never going to accept or something like that. So I think that's like a a little different than a lot of universalists, I think.
0: You know, it's funny when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, I had that uh, idea. I I used to play around with the idea because, you know, I was brought up in the church, then left the faith, Not, not really left the faith, but. Kind of like I, I, never, I don't know, I don't know where I was, you know. I was like, I did my own thing, you know. I, I did my, my teenage years, right? So, uh, but I always had this notion when I was like real little about God rescuing the people after, you know, the end of the world and so forth, uh, like some some sort of time in between because I knew I had family that was probably not going to make it because they're atheists. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so. Actually, one of the guys that kind of tormented me about uh, uh, my view of eternal conscious torment—he's on now too, so he can get in on this. But uh, he's smiling; he heard me. All right, what's up, Caleb? Thanks for joining Hi, us. Hi, David. Man. How are you? I'm good, brother. Good brother. Nice uh, to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I had this idea. I was hey, like, I always wanted God to—I always wanted God to rescue the people that were in hell, like. It would be like this war campaign where he would like get all into it and then go down and and rescue the people that were in hell. But uh, no, I mean, other than that, I mean, we got to go by what the scripture says. I I know that's kind of like where I'm at, you know, uh, is the ECT view. But, uh, David, uh, I'll let you take over from here because I'm just going to keep rambling because I am very tired today, guys. (laughs) I worked all day, and I've been walking up and down stairs, nine flights of stairs, and it's it's been a long day.
1: (laughs) See, I'm uh, I'm with you there, Russell, in that uh, if we are uh, Christians who want to take the scripture seriously, then we need to take the scriptural teaching on hell seriously as well. And uh, that's the reason I can't be an an internal conscious torment guy is because I I simply don't think that that is what the authors of scripture believed in, right? We've got scripture that tells us that the wicked will be no more. We hear that the wages of sin is death. Uh, We have in uh, Hebrews, a description of hell uh, where it's described as the fire that uh, consumes the adversaries of God. Uh, And the word there translated as consumes in Hebrews 10, uh, it, it literally means eat. Like, I, I don't know how you can be consumed while being um, eternally uh, tormented. And I mean, on the philosophical side, it's pretty easy, I think, to see philosophical problems with um, the eternal conscious torment. View.
0: Well, cons- I, I don't I don't understand how I mean, we do have professional philosophers that were eternal conscious torment viewers and they they held to it very, very mm-hmm. uh, soundly. So, I mean, I, I don't think I would go that route and just dismiss the view completely because, I mean, historically, you have no basis to say that uh, this is what the scriptural fathers believe because Jewish ideas of the afterlife are all over the place. You will not find a, uh, a, uh, a cohesive idea of the afterlife. OK, I mean, why do you think the uh, the uh, the tombs had soul windows? Well, that's because they believe the soul went to someplace. Okay, so um, and you go, you got Jesus talking Mm -hmm. about uh, the uh, Lazarus and the rich, uh, uh, the rich man and Lazarus in some sort of thing. If you're going to dismiss that as as some sort of metaphor or hyper hyperbolic language, I know you're, you're you're you do believe there's like kind of like a conditional hell until the final day, though. So I could see where you could like justify that on that view. But I don't think you could codify that codify an annihilationist view outright like that.
1: Well, and I mean, I'll, I'll turn it over. In, in, in speaking of the man, um, you know, the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, um, you can take that completely literally. Uh, I, I don't really know why that's presumed to be a challenge to the uh, annihilationist model, because even taking it literally, nothing in that, um, nothing All in right. that story speaks to the duration of hell. So, you know, you could accept that this is c- completely accurate, like describing quite literally what happened. Right and uh nothing about that implies that the torment uh <laughs> lasts eternally so uh i mean i just think there's good, good contextual point. reasons to think that it is a parable but you know uh, laying that issue uh aside um <laughs> and turning kind of to universalism because what i, I would want to ask the universalists is uh, Like when when I read the New Testament, I don't get the idea at all that the New Testament authors had the expectation that everyone would be saved. I really don't get that feeling. So I say that if they were universalists, they kept that secret very well. Like at best, you're getting little hints of it here and there. So I'm kind of curious where um, where you guys see that in scripture or do you take because a lot of universalists take this view is that, well, you know, the scriptures, uh, they kind of will reject uh, a stricter inerrantist view and say it just kind of gives us guidelines and like we get enough there so that we can coherently get to a, a universal picture what are your guys thoughts on that
3: yeah i could let, uh i can say a little bit yeah uh and i want to hear what caleb has to say because i think he's done i appreciated his conversation the other day and i think he's probably done more research on this than i have like strictly like going through the things but I know there's a case to be made, like I've read a good bit of David Bentley Hart's book and just like understanding different forms of like aeonios as far as like the age to come, like when it says, yeah, that also be saved. And uh, yeah, but uh, what you're saying, I mean, I don't hold to a very strict inerrancy, so Like, I kind of do agree with that, like, second point you made. And I think of it somewhat like the Trinity. I mean, the Trinity is not spelled out in scripture, but it's like we can draw it out from there, but they never, like, explicitly state the doctrine of the Trinity. So I kind of think of it along those same lines a little bit. But yeah, I'm curious what Caleb has to say.
4: Well, I think that David both of the David's arguments cancel each other out and so they're both wrong. So I think that they just kind of did their their job for me. So uh, both of them make good points against it. But yeah, I I don't really buy this argument that oh, just it's a secret and that nobody ever thought of this idea until, you know, it was it was discovered then because I mean, you can obviously church fathers like Origen thought that and if you look at the early church, they were sick and this is according to the new Shafe Hezog encyclopedia of religious knowledge page 96 says that there were four or there were sorry there were six uh theological schools in the early church four of which were universalist the other two one of them was annihilationist and one of them was eternal conscious torment so the majority position for a good part of church history was this now it did phase out as People learned Latin and spoke less Greek and other church fathers moved on. But I don't see this idea that, you know, nobody thought this or this was hidden. I think it's pretty clear from Paul's writings. I think Jesus's words are where people typically get the the, uh, eternal conscious torment language. But take in mind that Jesus was a Jewish apocalyptic prophet who used lots of uh, imagery and language from his day. Like when he's quoting Isaiah and saying that the worm shall never die. But of course the passage he's referring to is not referring to eternal conscious torment. It's just referring to the destruction of the wicked, which I think David Paulman would probably agree on that point. But point of it being is that it's not necessarily meant to be literal language of consuming and eating and stuff like that. But I also don't think consumed implies complete death. I mean, if you look at like the, um, Islamic conception of hell, uh, Allah will burn them completely like burn all the flesh off then regenerate it then burn it off again into you know an eternal cycle of torture so um, theoretically you could just repeat that until they repent but um, point being I don't really think that uh, we can appeal to scripture which is great and I'm perfectly willing to do that but I think uh, even if they want to attack us on scripture I think we could also ask them philosophically how they justify it so I think both camps have to be looked at pretty carefully but that's just what I would say.
2: Travis, you got anything? Yeah. Um, sorry, trying to do my headphones. So uh, with this topic, I don't really take a firm position. I mean, I, I try to keep it in mind now, but I, I lean a lot more closely with what David said in it because it seems to be that the the scriptures will, will kind of affirm more of a. An annihilationist view i mean that's just what it seems like you know from from the arguments that i've heard but uh i am certainly willing to be wrong but okay. i mean this isn't really an area i've studied too much so yeah. i mean take what i say with a grain of salt True. but so i david, think when you what look else at you got the... sorry go ahead
0: let's, let's go back to david because you spoke and then I yeah, know he he wants go. to respond. He go. yeah go ahead
1: well, yeah, a, a little bit of clarification there is uh, I wasn't making um, an argument that uh, from the church history there. And on the one hand, I'm not real interested in what the church history on the matter says. I think it's pretty clear that eternal conscious torment is the dominant historical position. Uh, I I'm convinced that there. I'm convinced by the historical arguments that there were certainly annihilationists and universalists uh, in the early church and down throughout history. So certainly, all the positions have a um, historical precedent for them. Uh, so if you're gonna like go on the historical evidence as if you if you think that that significantly counts for something, it definitely weighs in favor of eternal conscious torment. Uh, That's kind of one reason I stick to the scripture. There is because I think that the scripture does. Clearly support um, annihilation, but uh, I wanted to ask. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, Caleb. Do you think that um, the author of Hebrews, for example, held um, to uh, universalist thing? Uh, well, and maybe first actually is: Do you think that uh, the author of Hebrews uh, held essentially a Pauline theology, so that he was heavily influenced by the theology of Paul?
4: Well, Hebrews is a very Jewish book, so I would imagine Hebrews would incorporate. I mean, Paul was Jewish too, obviously, but. Paul was at least trying to to ring around the Gentiles a little bit. But I think Hebrews is written with a lot of Jewish apocalyptic imagery, similar to Revelation. And so I would take all of the descriptions that Hebrews gives probably in that same kind of apocalyptic life.
1: Okay. But do you think then that that um, allows you then to see uh, or to kind the think to
4: So w- would you say then that you, you can do give you a think... specific reference, I think, but well
1: yeah i mean uh, specifically i'm thinking of the warnings in hebrews specifically in, mm-hmm. in hebrews 6 and hebrews to imply that uh well actually i would say they go stronger than imply but uh, they seem to they seem to state that those who fall away from the faith those who apostatize can never return so um do you just say that that's in this life do you extend that um you know out infinitely the way i would or do you just think that that's like a hyperbole or something
0: all right so before you answer that caleb i hate to interrupt you again brother but we got clinton wilcox
2: how you doing clinton
0: Clinton? from the mentionables he's on now and i'm gonna make him justify this comment and tell us what he means by that uh but after caleb Mm -hmm. goes then we'll go to clinton
4: okay So, yeah, I think it could be all, I mean, he, I think his options were what he said, metaphor, or, sorry, not metaphor, hyperbole, or like in this life. I think both of those are options, but I also think, and I, and I'm assuming most people would agree with this, that we shouldn't just take uh, verses out of, or isolated, you have to take it within the whole context. And so I think when we look at these verses and then uh, put them against the character of God, for example. I think that when we clearly see that, you know, nothing will separate, neither life nor death will separate us from the love of God. Jesus will go after his sheep, even if they're lost. Um, Jesus says, forgive your enemies, basically an infinite number of times. I don't see this in scripture, this idea of God just arbitrarily cutting your life short and saying, okay, no more chances for you after this, you know, after 80 years or whatever. So I don't, I I think with that in mind, when I read the Hebrews passages, I would say it's probably either being hyperbolic or referring to the current life. Um, before they're basically saying you can't you can't come back once you reject it without being punished in hell But that doesn't mean you can't come back after that So I, I just don't see that being consistent with the character of God with what we know with other parts of scripture. So
0: All right. Well, hey, uh, David, I, I know I, we'll, I, we'll, I we'll, we'll, hey, want to hear what Clinton's got to say first and then we'll We'll, we'll we'll keep looping this around and then David and uh Travis can go and figure out who wants to go yeah. first. Uh let's get let, let's let's let Clinton uh talk real quick. Uh you're muted my friend or something. I can't hear you.
4: Yeah, I think you're muted.
0: <laughs> okay. So yes. like what's that?
4: Can you me we now? can hear you.
0: Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, good. I think I have my mic muted on
2: uh, my laptop. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is a little informal. Uh, I a reputation the that you were doing this, and I'm actually in the process of uh, cleaning up my bedroom because
5: I'm moving in uh, a few minutes. So, uh, yeah. And uh, actually, I want to be involved in, uh, in a discussion with Chris Christine on uh, this topic here. So I'm trying to trying you know, to get as much uh, as much.
0: You know, practice with it as I can, I suppose. All um, right, Clinton, just one second. Your 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 uh your laptop mic, there's something it's kind of scratchy, bro. Okay. Let me try putting headphones in. Let me grab mic. Okay. Uh real quick, we'll, we'll Clinton, we'll move on real quick, and then we'll uh we'll give it to Travis real quick and then uh we'll come back to you. While you get your stuff figured out Travis go ahead what did you want to say to Caleb
2: What's interesting is uh, I've heard I've heard uh, Hugh Ross make an argument That um, it could be like if you take a eternal conscious torment It could be that, that God is using The uh, torment like ha- as a means Of restraint And then there's also the uh, An issue with uh, Annihilationism I would take is how do we know that, you know, what's the nature of time in, in, you know, in this state? I mean, or is it like, you know, because we're talking entirely different laws of physics and, you know, it's not like, you know, the uh, going around in the sun. I mean, so uh, there, there are some issues that I, I would wonder about with that. But.
0: Yeah, it's that, that, that is interesting. I mean, I, I haven't even thought about that too much. Ah, uh, David. Uh, that that looked like more of a question for you and your heretical view.
1: Which one there was that? Uh... <laughs> well, we already know you're another. an open. Tra- theory, Tra- okay. Travis's
0: question. Yeah. yeah, Travis's, and and you can answer Caleb as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, so going to Travis first. I mean, regarding the issue of time, um, if you like, want to take a, yeah. a uh-huh. some kind of like a B theory of time or something with, uh, or or. Um, even just say that, like, we go into a timeless state after, um, after, like, uh, mm-hmm. after we die or whatever. Uh, I think the annihilation is can accommodate that. You can yeah. just say that hell happens, that, that that's an extension of time, so that, uh, the people are annihilated in there, and so that, you know, it, it doesn't violate, um, anything. Like, you don't have to say after a person dies, they necessarily go into this. Uh, timeless state you say it's only a uh, you know regenerated person who's been resurrected to be glorified that person will go into um, a timeless state but uh now not, he has not-
0: now he has to now he has to accommodate his ceasing to be <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. well it's just it's just if you take that particular I mean, understanding of time which yeah. i don't but i would just say right. it's compatible with it uh to caleb uh, well, going
0: maybe- What is it? Travis, you're breaking up, bud.
2: Hear me? Yeah. Okay. uh, Yeah, no, where that question comes from is like, uh, okay, the description of New Jerusalem with the measurements, it's about the size of our current moon. And, uh, you know, it describes it as being in the form of a cube, but the law of gravity would naturally take that amount of mass and form it into a sphere. So, uh, like, even New Jerusalem would violate our current laws of physics. And so that's why I was wondering, like, in the eternal state or after death or whatever, how do we know we're dealing with like this type of laws of physics?
1: Well, for human, like, for those who are and, believers, you know, they, they, they would you just may not kind
2: of question an island.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, so maybe for a believer, that would be the case, but uh, it's not necessary, I don't think, to say that those same sorts of conditions are going to apply to unbelievers. Uh, It seems to me coherent that you could have uh, kind of both parallel there and that you could have uh, the unbelievers annihilated uh, in uh, in, – I mean, even granting that it does go to um, a different sort of – you know different laws or whatever that wouldn't preclude the possibility of annihilation so it just it seems like there are a lot of possible possible ways of responding to that sort of charge caleb um on this issue of um, for
4: me. okay <laughs> so, <laughs> i've been waiting caleb, for this for so long <laughs>
1: you you have been yes i am yes you've I been am. preparing for this moment yes absolutely so going to this idea of um hyperbole I'm curious if that is a really a tenable hypothesis to me, because a hyperbole has to be an extension of, um, you know, it's describing something as worse than it actually is. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's still got to be some kind of truth in there, right? so if we go to like uh so let's just go to hebrew 6 right hebrew 6 6 uh, in the case of those who've fallen away right it's impossible for them to be renewed again to repentance because they've crucified the son of god and put him to open this shame, right uh so what is the truth there because it seems to me like you're saying oh but this person not just that they can still be redeemed that they are going to be redeemed that they will certainly be redeemed i don't see how like How is that just not completely the opposite of what's being stated here? Like, I don't I don't see a reasonable case for a hyperbole here because it seems like you're saying that actually it's just stating something that's patently false.
4: So I think elsewhere in Hebrews, it says it is um, like a man will die once and then face judgment. So I think when you take that into context as well, then that's it's referring to falling away in this uh, remedial life. But again, also, I think when you t- look at the verses that clearly imply that everyone will be saved, you can't divorce it from that idea, right? When you look at Philippians 2, I think it's 9 through 10, where it says everybody will bow at Christ's feet, or when it says that uh, just as Christ died for all, or sorry, just as everyone, in, all in Adam will die, so all in Christ will be made alive, or where it says uh, Christ, uh, everyone will be saved through Christ, especially those who believe, but it implies that other people won't as well. When you take all these passages together, I think that, um, you have to apply it to that. So, yes, I would say that it's probably referring to this life that they fell away in. But again, this is it's not as if our decisions in this life don't matter. They mm-hmm. matter a lot, which is why we spend so much time discussing these things and evangelizing. No one is saying, oh, you get saved eventually, so who cares, right? It's a big deal and something Jesus warned very strongly against because it's yeah. not going to be a pleasant experience. Yeah,
0: but yeah, Caleb, like don't you think that it does lessen no, some of the right? urgency? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ethan.
3: No, no, I was just, well, I was just going to add, like, I pretty much agree exactly with what Caleb's saying. And I think, like, if we take, in my view, I think universalism is, like, the best way to fully understand Paul's theology of eschatology or whatever, like, in time. So I think if if we agree with that, like, I mean, if I think that, then I'm going to come to Hebrews and... And, and wrestle with it for sure. Like, I don't know if maybe Hebrews isn't talking about that. Maybe it's hyperbole. Maybe it is what it is, but like, I think I start with, uh, Paul gives us the most to work with. So that's why, like with what Caleb's saying, like if we fully work out what Paul's saying and we come to universalism, then we can go somewhere else. Like it's hard to take Hebrews when it's, one one letter, you know, that's talking about a lot of different things, specifically to the Jewish people, you know, a very Jewish book. And we don't know who book. wrote
4: Hebrews either.
3: Exactly. It's like, it's, it's hard to say, if I come to the conclusion that like this is really pushing against, like with what Paul's saying, I'm going to have to work that out some way, but I'm going to prioritize Paul's much more clear teaching. And I think that's like a good... <laughs> uh like herman it, should go by the what, the rule of i forget the term people use but like interpret the complicated with the more clear passages mm-hmm. so that's kind of where the way i approach it. oh yeah sort of
0: well i, I think do. i think all of y'all are wrong because i think it's still uh very clear that it's internal conscious torment well, David uh, can Clint, i ask uh, you a question or uh, you can't you can't uh David Palman or me no I was gonna ask you a question okay go questions. ahead
4: yeah no I was just gonna say since since we're discussing this like I'm trying to I'm trying to understand how you conflate or not, not conflate, how you reconcile eternal conscious torment with the character of God. Because, you know, I think that the the image you're getting is that you have this needless torture of people for all of eternity for seemingly not, not because they don't deserve it per se, but because, you know, if you look at different kinds of justice, you have retributive, which is they deserve it. You have rehabilitate or restorative and then punishing them, which preventing them from sinning again. And so I think out of those three options, it's, it seems to me that retributive is the worst out of those because you're punishing them only so that they hate you and continue to sin. And you're just creating this eternal cycle. So what? how do you square that with the character of God and the, and the idea of him wanting to save everyone and him being deeply saddened? But then in Revelation, you look and all the righteous are basically laughing and at the, at the damned and, and rejoicing at, their, at the smoke bellowing out of their destruction. So just how do you like square that with it?
0: Well, uh, how old are you? I'm 21. You're 21? Exactly. Yes, sir. See, so you, you were born in the, the era of pansies. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I did not think that was going to be your answer. <laughs> hey, well, <but> okay. no. <laughs> well, that was to make you laugh. But uh, no, you, you, I, I do say there is a uh, certain uh, softness that, that we have come to approaching sin. I don't think that you guys... Uh, Uh, the annihilation or the universalist understand the impact of sin and i I would that that would be my idea and i think that that sin is an eternal crime that is carried over into eternally eternally uh and that you're actualized uh once once you pass from this life to the next um just like i don't think there's any hope for satan uh i don't think there's any hope for those that continue in that uh and still reject god once they're in that presence um i think there is something to that uh again uh i'm not using origin who castrated himself as a uh as you know, just, <laughs> it's a little bit of a i'm sorry I, I do have to, the dude, i love i love the icebreakers. i love the ice breakers, know, the ice breakers because a little bit of it a... keeps everything fun it, it oh, really,
5: um, it really takes balls to castrate yourself. I think. I have to oh, say. Stop it. no! <laughs> Sorry, was that, was that joke too inappropriate for a Christian podcast?
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know, Origin Origin had a lot of uh, weird views. But as far as I can reconcile with that, to God, I don't think God's a cosmic uh, a rapist. I think those that truly do not want to be with Him, He will let them not be with them without ceasing them to exist. I think that's just. I think that more aligns with his character because we are the apple of his eye. So he gives those kids what they want. Just like I think the prodigal son is a beautiful story of how that can go. Okay, versus someone that could be redeemed and living in that filth and and having that attitude of you know I don't want my father. He's dead to me. Right. I think that sin can callous you so hard. And put you in that state that God says, All right, do what you want. Uh and that's why I hold to the C. S. Lewis idea of of uh you know, there's only two types of people that God sees at the end, and he says, you know, your will be done or or you know, or when he I, I can't remember the saying. He says, mm-hmm. Thy like, will be done. The inside or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah I guess. So it's kind of like the whole yeah. quarantine.
4: I, ideas. Mm-hmm. Well, one I, quick I thing with. to that, though, is when I was talking with Titus that you were hosting, I, you know, I brought up the argument that you can't logically reject God forever. And so I'm, I and I don't think he ever responded that he basically conceded yeah. it, but then said maybe God has good reasons. But then I and David Paulman can get into this if he wants to. And then I said, well, then basically you're a Calvinist at that point because you're saying God could save everyone given it in any amount of time, but he chooses not to. And so I think that just gets the same moral problem. you yeah. have. I, I don't so. know.
0: I, I don't know how you can come to the conclusion that it's illogical to hate God forever. I don't know where you draw that from. So I, maybe I, I misunderstood the the argument or maybe I was mm-hmm. sleeping through it because my stuff kept cutting off <laughs> and I was getting maybe, tired maybe. because I was up from that uh, student event. But before we go any further uh, and, and we can get back to that, um, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I want Clinton to, to jump in here. Uh, I know he's got some stuff to say and I think he's got a stuff fix now. So,
5: yeah, I was using my laptop, uh, microphone before. And, uh, since that was, uh, you know, uh, no bueno, I figured, okay, I'll just plug in my good mic and <laughs> use that Put my headphones on and make this a little more official. I'm not really like, you know, uh, prepared for an official podcast, but that's okay. I, I can go with it. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So this is actually a topic that uh, I'm going to be discussing with Chris Tate on a uh, on further on, on Cameron Bertuzzi's. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, who who said that? Uh, oh, the Magic Man. Well thank thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, although like literally nobody that I told yeah. this to is very confident in my chances. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna go there and my, my goal is just to not make a complete
0: fool out of myself while I have this discussion. He's although, completely I, gracious. I've been on with him, so
5: yeah. Although I did I did insist that let's do a discussion, not a debate, because he will completely school me if we do a debate type uh, setting. So I wanted something a little more a little more casual where we could just have like a discussion about it. Uh mm-hmm. You know, so uh, hopefully that'll work a little bit better in my favor. Um, So, yeah, so, you know, I I guess you saw the comment that I made and uh, I was I was basically just trying to stir the hornet's nest with that comment. Uh, (laughs) You know, sort of Uh, it it, it has a you know, it has a nugget of of truth (laughs) of what I of what I think in in the comment, Um, but I. You know, I I phrased it in a way that that might, uh, you know, stir the nest a little bit. Uh, So, yeah, this whole idea about how, you know, when I hear someone who holds to, say, annihilationism, look at these verses where it says, like, you know, the the damned will be no more and things like that. And it's like, okay, yeah, great. Scripture says that. But you realize Scripture speaks in metaphor all the time, right? Um, Uh, You know. When we talk to a to a young earth creationist, they insist that Genesis one must be taken literally. It cannot be taken figuratively. And when we talk to a Catholic, they insist that when Jesus said, "This is my body, this is my blood," Jesus was absolutely speaking literally, and Jesus meant what he said uh, Jesus meant what he said. Uh, and then of course, you just say, "Well, Jesus also said he was a vine and a door. Did he mean what he said there?" You know, we we don't deny this is what Scripture said. We don't deny this is what Jesus taught. What the question is is this something that we should be taking literally, or is this something that's to be taken metaphorically? So when when, when I hear a, a Catholic or a Young Earth creationist or an annihilationist say this is what Scripture says, we have to take Scripture at its word, Well, that's not very impressive to me because they're they're totally uh, they're totally on the wrong discussion. Because we all know, we all accept because we all have bibles we all know what the scripture says what what is at issue here is what does scripture actually mean and well uh, only
0: if you're caleb no. you don't know what it means when you read it because he's scripturally illiterate but uh, oh, okay. <laughs> that's what you get for picking on me last week <laughs> um right but no i i hear you clinton uh that's why i brought up the historical aspect and i, I appreciate caleb kind of bringing bringing the historical aspect to it too and that's why i kind of started off with what did the jews actually believe back then about the afterlife yeah that's important we only have certain inscriptions we don't have too much to go off of you know so Uh,
3: you know
0: hard to pinpoint i know the essenes they believed in in some form of an i i don't know maybe it wasn't the essenes
4: sadducees
0: uh, but uh, no, no, the Essenes. You oh. know, I'm talking about it, the entire region of right, how, yeah. how those Jews believed oh. in, in an afterlife. There were annihilationists. There right. were some universalists, and mm. there were eternal consciousness guys.
5: So, yeah, and this question of interpretation is important when someone like Chris State tries to talk about the early church fathers too. You know, I've been listening to some of the things that that Chris is. Chris teaches on his podcast and in his talks and things like that. And he'll talk about how, you know, there are a lot of early church fathers who were annihilationists. And the thing is, you know, I I don't have extensive knowledge of what the early church fathers taught, but I do have some of the writings from the early church fathers and some of the ones that he quotes. uh, he's, he's, He's reading an assumption into the text that that is unwarranted uh, because there are so, several early church fathers who, who speak about hell, but uh, they, they don't speak in a way that, that implies annihilation. They speak of it in, in the same understanding that the scripture writers had. So to, to say that the script that the early church father's, for the most part, believed in annihilation, not in uh, in eternal conscious torment, is really just to read your own interpretation into the text of what the early church fathers wrote and not to draw out the intended meaning. In fact, there's one book that I have. Uh, I think it's the, uh, let me see, the Apostle, um, what's well, one of these these early ones? Um, Diognetus, I think or diagnosis, however you would pronounce that, uh, actually has a very clear passage about eternal conscious torment uh, of hell. Uh, and then the other early church fathers from the books that they have really doesn't have one way or the other. It just kind of has the same understanding that scripture has. And so, um, you know, to say that the early church fathers definitely taught eternal conscious torment is really just to assume your own uh, interpretation into their texts. So I, I really think that Chris you know, I have like, a question. Really, Like the latest, just real quick, the latest thing he's on is that the book of Revelation is clearly an annihilationist text. And and so, you know, I think that Chris State makes a lot of uh, hyperbolic statements about the early Church Fathers, about certain biblical books, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that just really aren't warranted in an attempt to make annihilation sound much more plausible than it actually is. All right,
2: go go ahead, What I was wondering is... Yeah um do we have any writings like of uh, in the apocrypha or the intertestamental period that talk about hell? I would be Maccabees. really curious to to hear their views.
4: Well so I mean the catholic side uh,
2: I, I don't know if we even have any writings.
0: What was that? So basically what Bart Ehrman says. Oh is, I was just yeah, wondering yeah, if Bart. I'm going I'm going way heretical here. Uh Bart Ehrman <laughs> lists uh over like I think he said in an area that had so many millions of people there. I think he said there's, uh, uh, I can't even remember the, the but uh, we only have like something like 270 some thousand inscriptions that give a notion of the afterlife. Okay. And uh, we get things from the scriptures, Sheol and stuff. But again, This has led to a lot of people in history to interpret it in those various different ways. Okay, Uh, we know that some believed in annihilation and some believed in eternal conscious torment, eternal punishment, and some believed in uh, 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 universalism. There were some that did, did hold to that, not not more so after Christ with universalism. But David, go ahead.
1: For the record, Bart Ehrman uh, agrees with me that the New Testament authors were
0: annihilationists. No, he doesn't. He, he said he said it's unclear, and it's Ooh. very confused. I just read his article. is why we're debating it. He, <laughs> has
1: many, he has many texts. He agrees that many of the texts that I would use to support annihilation do support annihilation, which is interesting since he obviously, as you know, a non-Christian, doesn't have a stake in this debate. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to make that comment
0: yeah he also he also said that it, it could go both ways <laughs> uh, but anyways uh, I, that's not the point I mean um, is there
2: anything in like the Dead Sea
0: well you said the Dead Sea
4: Scrolls Travis
0: it, it, the Dead Sea Scrolls there wouldn't be nothing there That yeah was- I
2: was wondering if there are any writings yeah. about, about like hell and well, not I don't specifically.
4: not specifically yeah, not don't not books. in Maccabees. It does talk about praying for the dead was where Catholics get purgatory oh. from. So that yeah. does imply some kind of rehabilitative state. But uh, they also I, and I mentioned this with Titus. Now don't they, say
0: rehabilitative, you know, purgatory goes both ways. If you don't rehabilitate, you you, you well, go away forever. Still, <laughs> that's true. OK, but it's still uh, it's still better than immediate hell. Right. I mean, it's still like second <laughs> chance. From you got a second yeah. chance after life. Yeah.
4: Right. But, but I guess the point is like early release. A yeah. Early release. Yeah. But I guess yeah, the but, point but is Caleb, like that's a possibility.
0: Caleb, I do think that as we have gotten, and I'm saying softer and we've gotten more comfortable in our, you know, in the environment we live in, we think about these things on like, man, how can, how could a God punish people forever, you know, and stuff like that. But I don't think that we understood I don't think that we understand the gravity of sin. I think sin can take us there. I think Let's it's so corruptive that a god is willing to show up as a human being and die for it to show us how bad it is. I think it could cause eternal an, an eternal state that that is is like that, you know, uh, separation from god, you know, and I think he does hand that over. So that's kind of how I square it. Uh, Ethan, I know you wanted to say something
3: real quick. Yeah, so I kind of push back when people start saying stuff like what you just said, where like universalism takes sin like less serious and whatnot. Because Yeah, go ahead. Like, go ahead. I, I haven't I, heard it. Yeah. So as I've like really come to understand and really like believe universalism more, like it seems to me like sin is all that much more serious. Like every single sin of the world Jesus died for. And, like, every single one, like, I do think there's, like, a judgment that we're going to have to pay for these sins, and they're all serious. And God, like, never gives up on anybody, and you just, like, every single one of these sins is going to be atoned for. And, like, with, um like, eternal conscious torment or annihilationism, it seems like there's some people where God's just like, ah, you know, like, Whatever, like they're just screwed or whatever, they're done. They're either going to be tortured forever or annihilated. Like their sins just really don't affect God for some reason. And all like, right, well, I we'll think...
0: go, go hug a tree and I'll <laughs> yeah. <Yeah>. <laughs> brother. I mean, yeah, no, I hear no, no, you. no, no, you're good. I mean, you're good. Like kind of like a reverse, kind of like a reversal of what I was saying, right? Exactly. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, so uh, Paul like, doesn't got... necessarily
3: yeah. take it less serious. That's all I was really trying to say.
1: Coleman? what what are we getting my opinion on universalism uh,
0: you, you you weren't listening obviously i, I, I wanted there was a lot
4: there it, it um, wasn't about epistemology he tuned it out yes
0: that is that is <laughs> uh, correct. clinton clinton yeah go ahead man
5: oh
4: what what, what
1: am i doing what would
0: what he what what he was saying uh what do you think about what ethan and i said about oh you know? well
1: Clint, clinton wasn't paying
5: attention either i guess oh, oh. i guess not you don't get
0: a hard time because he's nicer than you
5: Oh, okay. <laughs> actually, I never knew uh, David's middle name was freaking. Yeah. 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 Actually, uh, I do have a question for Ethan, though. Are, are you mm. a universalist or are you just kind of playing devil's advocate there? That's not no, my question. I,
3: I consider myself a universalist. Yeah. Like, I'm not oh, okay. like an uh, expert on the topic or anything, but.
5: Okay. So, what reason from scripture do we have to think universalism might be true?
3: I mean, I think we see it like a lot of examples, like throughout Paul's letters and whatnot and i just think like to square it with the character of god i i i mean i think from scripture we can see that there's ambiguity that's kind of like where i'm at right now where there's not there's not a solid case i haven't heard a super solid case for any position so i think there's ambiguity so then i think we go to like the philosophical type arguments it's kind of how i get there Okay, so, because
5: my, my question would be, because I, I think there are very solid arguments for eternal conscious torment, and, and I, I can kind of see how someone could become an annihilationist from studying scripture, but I don't see how someone could take universalism from scripture. I was wondering if maybe you could give me some scriptural examples of verses that you you take to imply I mean, yeah. universalism. I can do yeah, that I, if I, you want. But, oh, sorry, go yeah, ahead. I'm but actually, really I'm sure. Anyone? I, I'm just really curious about it.
3: Yeah, I was actually just reading this uh article by David Bentley Hart and he just like lists them out like First Timothy two, three through six, our Savior God who intends all human beings to be saved and come to a full of truth. And yeah, see, I mean, you could say that or whatever, and that's exactly where I'm getting at. Like I, there's clearly ambiguity. You know what I mean? Like someone like David Bentley Hart who has studied this, has his own translation of the New Testament clearly sees it okay, so, yeah, I,
5: I have heard that David Bentley Hart is one of the leading uh one of the leading uh, scholars on universalism uh, I haven't read his book but yeah because uh, you know I'm not a Calvinist so I, I do think that even though God may intend everyone to be saved I don't think that necessarily implies everyone will be saved and and uh, if because- I
1: if I could just add an exegetical note here, like that's yeah. the weakest translation of the word there. It it doesn't say intends. It means it means wants. God wants everyone to be safe. If it doesn't say he intends for it's, them.
3: I think it safe.
4: means the same thing though. It's yeah. It's, I mean, if you want
3: necessarily, God's not going to get something he wants. That seems pretty weird to me. But I lean much more Calvinist, and that's what's funny about me. Like I was a Calvinist, and then like I've started learning about universalism, so I can like. Like if God wants something, it seems pretty easy to for me like drawing really up trouble, Ethan. Well, Calvinist yeah. ideas that well, he yeah, gets what it, he wants essentially. Yeah, but if you want yeah. kind to of talk philosophy, though,
5: you know God has given us free will, which means that God is not going to force anyone into heaven. So it's totally yes. if if we if we consider libertarian free will, which I, I do hold to, uh, then it, it's perfectly consistent to say that God wants everyone to be saved, and everyone won't be saved. Because God has given us free will, and therefore, uh, if there are people who go to hell, then uh, then, then that implies that that God will not. Uh, oh, hold on, I, I lost my train of thought. Uh, if if God uh, if God wants everyone to be saved, but there are people who will go to hell, then that implies that God doesn't necessarily. Uh, get what he wants. And so the reason for that, now of course God could get what he wants if he, if he wants to. He's omnipotent, you know He could force people into heaven, but he also cannot do the logically impossible. So if he's going to give us free will, he cannot then usurp that free will. Uh, and force people to go to heaven who don't want to go. So if there are people in hell, but God wants everyone to be saved, then there must be something that prevents God from saving people. And the only thing that could prevent God from saving people is something that God himself instituted, which is free will. Obviously, a human being can't stop God from doing whatever God wants to do. But if God gives us free will and can't then usurp that free will, because that would be logically inconsistent with his desire that we be free creatures, then then it seems compatible that people could go to hell and God wants everyone to be saved at the same time.
3: Yeah. If I could just say a quick thing, I felt like I just want to kind of respond to that and then you can go, I'll make it quick. But uh, I just think that's kind of like a misunderstanding of free will. I just don't think like it's a, I think free will, as we see like a free action is one that is like in line with God's intentions. I don't think it's a free action to like, Sin yourself into hell or whatever or to reject god i don't think that's free in any way just like how i wouldn't say that it's like freedom i think we have this like modern conception of freedom as like just having all these choices or whatever and we could just choose whichever one we want or whatever how that works but i just don't think that's how like paul conceived of free will at all i think like free will is just is we're free when we can follow god and when we're not following god we're not free it's not a free action like again and i think it's like i kind of use the analogy like like are you more free in a a, like a anarchy society or are you more free if we set up rules that allow things to function properly you know and i think you would really be a lot more free even if there are more rules, you know, even if you're more restricted, you're you can be more free. And I think the most free you can possibly be is to follow God every step of the way and never take a step off that path. So I think like to, to say and I just want to add, like to say someone has like the freedom to reject God. I think God like is the ground of all good is the end all be all of all human Intentions. We all want God. I just think we're either tainted by sin or confused or or there's just something going wrong there. And I don't think – I think it, God can get through that nonsense or whatever and, and clean everybody up to the point where they will finally, like, be able to see the truth for what it is and see God for what he is and make that choice to follow God. So if that makes any sense, it might have been a little convoluted, but I just don't think free will is a good good – Way to get to like promote hell or whatnot?
4: Can I say my I point earlier that because yeah, because this goes back to what I was saying with David, um, and he pretty much just said, "Oh, I don't think that's the case," but I don't think he really gave an argument for why it wouldn't be the case. Um, granted, I didn't present an argument, but I did last time, so <laughs> I didn't know if he wants me just to repeat it or um, how we want to go about it. So,
0: um, um,
4: well, I kind of just
1: wanted to throw in kind of a thought here on this God always gets what he wants mentality. Um I don't see that in scripture like anywhere. Um Like uh, just a, a clear example that I have in mind here would be like Jeremiah nineteen five, right? Where uh, God is specifically saying to the children of Israel, like when they've been sacrificing their children to false gods, that he didn't want them for, he didn't want them to do this. Uh, and we see this, all over the place in the old testament as god pleads with his people to repent and time and time again they don't do it like we see this in judges uh there's this, this cycle in judges about how god will like deliver his people then they'll fall into sin and he has to raise up another judge to uh, get them out when they repent and so i don't see anywhere in scripture this idea that god always gets what he wants i i don't know where we get it from and i see a lot of evidence that would seem to contradict that idea. So applying that to soteriology, I can agree that God wants everyone to be saved. I think I think that he does, but um, I don't see how like, oh, well, then he's going to get what he wants. I'm not seeing uh, the argument for the truth of that premise.
4: Yeah, I think that's a good point, David. And I would actually agree with you on that because I don't think that uh, you can make the argument that he has to get what he wants because I do believe in free will. That being said, I think that free will in this particular case is not a sufficient answer because uh, as I said last week, and as, as uh, Ethan did a pretty good job of drop my pen of summarizing is that if God is the end all be all of all good and all motivation and all free choices are grounded in motivation, uh, rejecting God for all of eternity would just be inherently circular. Uh, you can't. If God is the core of everything that could ever give you pleasure and happiness, you can't reject that forever because you would have no motivation to reject it. All sin that we do is just a distortion of good, right? It's a No one does evil just to be evil. They do it because they think they're getting something out of it like pleasure or satisfaction or whatever. So when you are putting that against God and you realize that God is all the source of pleasure, then there's literally no way that can be independent of him. If that makes sense. And so Hart gives the example of like, you know, you have this 18th or sorry, 19th century story of this guy who's put in front of uh, two doors and he's made to pick one door has a beautiful woman who he can marry. The other door has a tiger that will eat him. Yeah. And yeah. And so he's asked, which is, is the man more free if he knows which door he's picking or if he does to do it blindly. And so the idea is that if he knows which door has the woman. No sane person would reject that. Everyone would do it if they knew. So the idea is just giving them that knowledge. Uh, That's why Jesus says on the cross, forgive them. What what makes
0: you think they're sane if they're in hell? <laughs> well, again, this is well, If you have free will, you there's, have there's to have some kind of. There's so many things you can do, right? There's so many things you do I,
1: I I was gonna say, well, you, you maybe the person's already married, and it'd be more merciful for him to you know get killed by the tiger than his right. wife oh, yeah.
0: beat him to death
3: for marrying well, in But but but
1: that, that 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 was the joke. Um, yeah. and Now I had a serious response to that as well, and and you're all making me forget
4: what it was, <laughs> but um. <laughs>
1: That's the best way to win debates right night. there. It's, it's it is. Boring. It is. You just get to make clever jokes, and everyone agrees. That's so, uh, <laughs> right. a roast set. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, everyone agrees with you,
5: and your opponent forgets what he was going to say. That's, <laughs>
4: That's how you win a debate, right there.
1: That that <laughs> is it. That is it exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what.
0: Okay,
4: well, uh, I guess I, I guess that goes unrebutted then, since it doesn't happen. I know he forgot what it was. I
0: know he No, no, no. You,
1: you were talking about you were talking about how um the person. Oh, I remember, <laughs> oh, I, I remember my response. My response was going to be um that uh, yeah that those sorts of responses assume that there is a post mortem opportunity to um believe and uh, that I don't see supported in scripture. Uh, and is it possible so, though? Yeah, I would say it's possible, but uh, all the scriptural evidence that we have on it seems to go against it, and uh, I definitely don't see positive biblical evidence for it. So but, if we're going strictly but, on the biblical data, I think it weighs against that but
4: why should? But why should we go strictly? I mean... Well, first of all, Jonah was post mortemly given a second chance after he was killed in the whale and then resurrected. But he I mean, said I think he was it's, killed. I
0: know he said he was. Well, killed. he says
4: he went <laughs> to the depths of she- Well, he says he went to the depths yeah. of Sheol and all this, and, and that, goes, that, that that couldn't pretty be. Pretty that
1: couldn't be poetic. That means he literally died. It and could him, be.
4: And got it resurrected. Be, but, depths,
1: man. He went to it the could depths. Be.
0: Well, I mean,
4: Jesus went down and <laughs> was it First and Second Peter where he frees the souls in bondage and all that stuff. So you can yeah, go there's suggest verses you can pick.
0: Suggest internal conscious torment. They were there no, for a long time. Freed. No, they're freed. Yeah, not <laughs> eternal, yeah. Yeah, but then, but then, of course, the question is, how does it
5: follow that because it was used uh, literally in, in one sense, uh, it could not have been used metaphorically prior uh, in the book of Jonah? It could. I'm
4: not saying it is literal or metaphorical, but I'm saying that I don't think, I think Scripture is a basis. I don't think it contradicts Scripture. I think that we can apply that. To, if we're going to grant that there's a possible world in which God could act, and this is the Molinist in me, God could actualize this, feasible. He has no reason not to do this. So David is no better than the Calvinist at this point because he's saying, "Yeah, God could technically do this. He could give this opportunity, but he just won't." And I think yeah, that's. That, a that, very, I, that's I, think, I think it's a lot better in a than way. the Calvinist. Mm. This, is, this isn't
1: this isn't this isn't an unconditional decision uh, on God's part. This is yeah. uh, dependent on the choices that they've made. That God has <laughs> given these people an opportunity to repent. In Calvin, but he could and, give them more. That was never he, there.
4: But he yes, could but give them having, more.
1: Yes, but they Possibly. have an opportunity. And that is, I think, is a very yeah. key difference in so Calvinism.
4: So, David, how many times are you supposed to forgive your brother when he sins against you? How many chances are they supposed to get?
5: Seventy, times, to seven. Yeah, 70 times seven. Which is
4: representative of there's not a limit, right? He doesn't mean literally keep track until you get to that point. Right. Four hundred and ninety so, times, yeah. that's the limit. Now, if you're, <laughs> if, times,
1: if you're trying right. to argue if you're trying to argue the people in hell are Jesus' brother, I mean
4: Well, but Okay, and this comes to act of, like, Mm. does God love the damned, or is he only talking about the elect, right? And this is where I say you get a little bit of a Calvinist here, because even Jesus says, if you only love those who love you, what good is that? You know, you have to love your enemies. So I I don't buy this idea of, like, it's only talking about the sheep here, right? And, you know, he'll go after anyone. So I don't know. That's just, I think. I don't know. I mean,
0: what do you think? Okay, Lib. now this is interesting, though. I mean, Satan was in the presence of God. You know, like no human had was ever. You know, um, and yet with his free choice, you know he sinned. Mm-hmm. You know, you see that corruption with him being the adversary, talking in Job and and so forth. Uh, I I don't know, man. It it just seems that once you're actualized in that sin and rebellion in some sort that there's there's a state where it becomes your it becomes who you are and it it can continue that way Uh, i i see that but i I mean of course we're not at the we're not in eternity yet so i mean but uh so i i I think i think there's 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 i i think what what i'm seeing in this entire discussion is is a summed up issue of secondary issues you know and why this is a secondary issue you know and and why uh there shouldn't be uh a lot of division now i probably wouldn't let you teach church no. <laughs> 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 you should look at david i, I know i'd get him out that way <laughs> but um wow. you know, like no but seriously guys <laughs> it, it is just, you know these are secondary issues we we struggle with and we fight about and we get hyped up about and then you hear russell crack a crazy joke in the middle of it and but uh yeah so um I'm random that way, but yeah, it's a secondary issue. But I mean, it, does anybody else have anything other uh, else they want to say? I mean, we're running up on a hard break here.
2: Uh, it's almost time to to shut down. I just wanted, to say, yeah, I just wanted to say with the issue of hell, you know, I, I keep an open mind, and it, it's kind of tough because I see good arguments coming from all three positions. I think eternal conscious torment is probably the least likely. Um, <laughs> But, I I mean, I I lean closer towards annihilationism, but I want to keep an open mind because I think there's good points on on both sides. So that's just my take. I, I can definitely see the appeal of universalism.
5: And if I, you know, I would love to think that Scripture teaches universalism, but contra what Travis was saying, I think universalism is the least likely of all the of all the possibilities given what Scripture teaches. I mean, I I, I can see how you can make some arguments for universalism and and why you might think certain Scriptures might imply it, but uh, I do think eternal conscious torment is the most likely uh, possibility, and then annihilationism. I can see how you can get I can at least see how you can get annihilationism from Scripture if you take certain passages uh literally instead of metaphorically uh you know i was actually uh, told by by a catholic apologist yeah. that the um that when when this when the scripture writers were writing they had no word for damnation so they had to use words like destruction in order to mean uh, you know, condemnation and things like that. Uh, I, I haven't studied Hebrew or Greek, so I don't know if that's the case or not. But that's what I was told by a, a Catholic apologist, who I, I have no reason to doubt his his knowledge on this. But uh, you know, uh, that's just just something to kind of throw out there. You well, uh,
0: well, said it, Clinton. He's a Catholic. No, I'm just joking. Well, oh, <laughs> I'm he's, he's also uh, very well. He's also
5: <laughs> a very well known uh, Catholic apologist. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to name drop or anything. But
0: uh, okay, yeah. I'm just gonna um, guess it's Peter Kraft. Uh, no, I would have uh, never never
5: reflection. actually spoken to Peter Kraft. I, I loved you though because uh, I love yeah, He's to He's awesome. ran a few things. Did but... you
0: guys ever read his book uh, with uh, C.S. Lewis, Kennedy, and Audis Huxley uh, meet each yeah. other in that? Uh, so, if you didn't know, uh, C.S. Lewis, John F. Kennedy, and Audis Huxley all died on the same day within hours oh, of wow. each other. Oh yeah. wow! So he did. He he compiled a book like a fictional book with Lewis, Kennedy, and Huxley talking. To each other in the afterlife before huh. they meet god and it's it's a, it's it's an amazing cover it, it's really good he did oh. a good job i love the book uh david did you read that one i did not oh man look mm. look for that that's, that's that's a fun one guys it
4: wasn't about epistemology mm. he wasn't interested <laughs> <laughs> oh. but-
3: all right so on the subject kinda, of epistemology could, right? you know? yeah if i could say just a couple things to wrap up like yeah um i think like my idea of universalism too is like the end of all ends, somehow God saves everyone. That's kind of like what I believe. But the the path to get there, I think, is like these ideas. Like I definitely believe that there's like some sort of hell and judgment and all this stuff. I just think at the end, if if it's if it's there was like a, a quote, and I'm like drawing a blank. But basically, if things aren't perfect, then it, like the end will be good. And if it's not good, it's not the end. Like, I just think there's always hope and there's always like if, if, if everyone's not saved, then there's more to come or whatever. So I think these ideas of hell and whatnot, like I, I believe in, you know, like how do I square this idea of judgment and hell with, you know, universalism? And I think there's kind of a way to work that in. And I just think like looking at the character of God, I just think he's going to save everyone. But how it gets there, you know. So it's not like – I think when a lot of people hear universalism, they think, you know, you die, you go to heaven, and, like, Mm -hmm. sin doesn't matter, and there's no hell, and everybody's right, you know, and and that's not what I believe at all. Like, you know, I'm definitely not, like, a religious pluralist or anything like that, but I just Mm -hmm. think it's, like – that's kind of what all I really Mm -hmm. wanted to, like, say at the end, you know, I I mean – there definitely is a hell, and there definitely is judgment, and it's not good to not be a Christian. So become a Christian, you know. Like right, I right. definitely yeah, no, no, believe in evangelism and stuff like that. So, yeah. Right. No, no matter which, no matter which position is
5: correct, it, it's better to to trust Christ over here on earth. For well, sure. do you all
4: do you all wish you were wrong though for the non universalist Do you hope that you're wrong and that it is true? I'm not. Not that that affects it's
5: true. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would say, not because yeah. there's
0: certain people I just don't like. <laughs> it out. Like,
5: yeah. yeah, no, because I, I think of I, I think it was a poet. I want to say it was T.S. Eliot, but it might may have been someone else. Uh, or yeah, in fact, I think it was someone else. But basically, said you know, if there's one doctrine I could remove from Christianity, it would be the doctrine of hell. But mm-hmm. you know, intellectual consistency would forbid me from doing that. And I kind of feel the same way. You know, I I, I would love universalism to be true. You know, uh, but I, it's just not. I just I just can't get it by looking at scripture. You know. Okay, that's an honest yeah.
0: answer. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, as way of wrapping up for me, uh, Caleb, is there yeah. anything that you wanted to – you said that I didn't answer something to your satisfaction, or?
4: I uh, no. Well, that was before I was talking to like, because then Paul and I were talking, and it kind of brought up. So, I, I don't think it. I think it was addressed there. So. Oh, okay. I don't remember what I was referring to at the time, but oh, no, I think I think I was referring to the free will thing, but then we talked about oh, that. Okay. So that was just All at right. that time. Yeah. So you're good. All right. It.
0: Okay. Um. Yeah. So, guys, I, you know we're coming at, at the end here. Uh, anybody else got any closing thoughts? Uh, I I really appreciate all you guys being here. I mean, this has been fun. I've loved the back and forth. Uh, I've I've loved to prove Caleb and David wrong at the same time. I mean, that's that's an amazing thing with Clinton's help. Uh, as as we know, the the magician told us that. And you know, since Clinton's on yeah. my side, we win. Yeah. Yeah, actually,
5: I, I recognize the Magic Man because he he sometimes uh, he sometimes turn, tunes into our mentionables podcast. Yeah. So yeah, yep.
0: guys. Does he you affirm know, the virgin he... birth? Uh, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm
5: not I'm not sure what his position is uh, if he's a Christian or not. Nick Peters, right? Yeah, because we get non-Christian uh, listeners too. So I'm not sure if the Magic Man is a Christian or not. But yeah. I, I do know Nick Peters affirms the virgin birth. <laughs> Although I haven't heard him yet today, so he may have backslid. I don't <laughs> know.
0: No, I, he did, oh, no, he did post something about it from the virgin birth, I think, uh, <laughs> okay. today. Uh, right. which, I mean, I, I will I add. Remember, yeah,
3: I will add real quick that if it means anything, I did beat the mentionables on that apologetics, Mark Uh-oh. Madness on Twitter. So I mean, I okay. must be right, right? Okay. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just.
0: <laughs> <messing>. <laughs> um, guys, you know, I, I do. There's three different podcasts that are represented here. Uh, there is uh, Clinton's uh, The Mentionables and Ethan Spartan Theology. Uh, I would yeah. encourage everybody to check them out and give them a subscribe and like their videos.
5: Yeah, actually if i could i have a, a a podcast i do on my own too apart from the mentionables if i could just maybe plug it real quick yeah go ahead buddy okay. yeah, it. yeah I, I have a podcast called pro-life thinking uh we're on okay. itunes and blogtalkradio.com slash pro thinking but we've also started up a youtube channel it, it's uh, you know i specialize in bioethics and so the purpose of the podcast is to train people train uh, people how to make a pro-life case effectively and persuasively uh so if you you know if you're interested in, in that sort of issue, or if you're, you know, wondering what the, uh, the, the you know, sometimes we talk about theology, but usually we, we relegate it to science and, and philosophy. Uh, if you're wondering what the best science and f- up-to-date science and philosophy has to say on the issues, and sometimes theology, yeah, give our, our channel, a, you know, subscribe to our channel, hit the notification bell, and we, we also interview a lot of guests, too, especially people who publish works uh, in, in, in these issues, so it's definitely something, you know, something I, I'm very... You know, very proud of, and uh, would love to see more people subscribe and, and even tune in to when we have these discussions so that they can participate as well.
0: Oh, yeah, all right. Well, uh, us, uh, Ethan, you got anything to uh, anything else to close with, uh, as far as giving a plug to stuff about spark theology in your ministry?
3: Yeah, next week I'm actually interviewing this uh, Dr. Andrew Abernethy, he wrote this book, God's Messiah in the old Testament expectations of a coming King. So I like won the book on Twitter and like one of those book giveaways. And then I talked to him and I'm going to interview him on my channel. The book's really good. It's just all about like, you know, old Testament, um, which we call it prophecies and whatnot. And like typology and stuff of Jesus. It's yeah. So it should be really interesting and I'll be doing that next Thursday. I think it is. So yeah. So look forward to that. Yeah, I appreciate anybody who goes and subscribes to my channel for sure. I just hit 350 subscribers, so that was pretty cool. So
0: Awesome. Nice. yeah, Good stuff, dude. Good stuff. All right, guys. Uh, well, that's it. David, you got anything uh, else you want to add? Again, guys, we've got some great content coming up. Uh, David shook his head no, but it looks like he wants to speak now.
1: Uh, no, I was just, I guess uh, – we
0: got a couple of debates coming up. I don't know. if. Oh, yeah, to man. Yeah. So, yeah, we do. We got exciting contacts. We got a PRA Raw. I'm still waiting to see if uh, somebody that wants to get interviewed for that is going to come on. So I'm not going to name drop right now. Uh, but uh, also, guys, we've got two debates coming up. I will be debating uh, Nash, no last name. Uh, she has a YouTube channel. She's a pagan. And she, uh, uh, we're going to be debating is Chris uh, Easter Pagan. So oh, that's going to be a fun one. Um, David Pullman's got a, a epistemological debate. <laughs> it's going to be fun. presupposition versus evidentialism. Actually, who's the
2: presupposition?
0: But, uh, uh, see, I had a friend uh, from my church. His name was Brian Knapp, and he used to run the uh, website or help run the website with a uh, uh, called Choosing Hats. It's mm-hmm. a presup website where a lot of these guys came up in, and you know, there's a lot of content and stuff. I don't even think it exists now. I don't know, but uh, you need to get uh, a David he's and he's David he's classic and like like I was I told him today I told uh, Brian today I said Brian you got to remember I was I, I listened to you with uh, on podcast before David was born so wow. he's he's a, he's a long time pre supper uh, that's been around a long time he's probably done presuppositional apologetics apologetics before I was even into apologetics forgot you're so, that old so. yeah, yeah I'm an old <laughs> guy man uh, kind of hard to be against you young bucks over here. Yeah. <laughs> but you anyways, call, yeah, so, so that's what we got going. You yeah, right. That's fine. That's fine. And I'm, I'm right, about man. your age. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I, we discussed that already, Travis. We don't need to go there again. <laughs> but anyways, guys, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh this is David Russell <laughs> with proselytize or apostatize and David Paulman with proselytize or apostatize and faith because of reason. Go check his channel out. He's got some good stuff on epistemology. Uh take care, guys.
2: God bless.